Father, we are here week by week, day by day, moment by moment, because of your grace. And I pray that as we enter this time of focusing on your word, that by the power of your spirit, God, you would be heard. And that we would receive from your hand, by the power of your spirit, all that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And that we would glorify you as a result of what we know and do after this time. And we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I'm going to ask what would be a uh, rhetorical question, um, but you can answer if you want to. Have you ever forgotten something? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right, I can't remember everything I've forgotten, right? Walk into a room and you're like, why did I come in here? I don't remember, right? Um, and and, and the, everything that I've heard, since I'm, I'm, I'm a young man at 49, right? Um, everything I've heard is just wait. Just wait. It gets better, harder. I don't know. I don't know. Now, so have you ever, like, though, made up your mind to not forget something? I'm not going to forget this. And then you forgot it? Yeah, yeah. Forgetting, to me, it's such a weird deal. I mean, what happens? Does somebody like some gremlin crawl in there and take an eraser and get that? I, I don't know what's going on because I want to remember something. So I will. And then I don't. What does it mean to forget? What, what, what's the mechanics of it? I don't know. Anybody use the Reminders app on your phone? Oh my gosh, that's all I do anymore. It's like, remember, brush your teeth in the morning. Okay, I'll set that, Brian. Uh, 7 a.m. Monday morning, yes. I've got a, a, a thing set up on my, on my phone, those weapons of mass distraction that we have, and that's not original to me. I just wanted to use it. Um, but I got a reminder to take my, my one pill that I take, um, 7 a.m. every morning, bing, take your pill. Okay. So then I'll take my pill, and I won't mark it as taken, and then I'll go out later in the day, and I'm like, did I take my pill? I think I did. No, I did. Did I? And it's like I can't remember anything unless I remind myself to do it and then remind myself that I did it. But did I? I don't know. I don't know. So the Reminders app is kind of like a lifeline for me now. Again, I'll make a reminder for a certain day and time, and you can even do place. It'll geolocate you and remind you when you reach a certain point, hey, remember this here. Use it, people. It's good. Sad we got to do that. But anyway, do it. So that I don't forget to do something at some time, somewhere, at a certain point of the day. Now, why, why is this a thing? Here's, here's the banner that I'm afraid is flying over this whole message today. We are prone to forget. Maybe it's a result of the fall. Maybe I don't know why, but I'm telling you, we forget things. My poor wife, how many times have I looked at her and said, I forgot, I forgot. We are prone to forget. But the Bible is full of calls for God's people to remember and not forget. So we're going to have to do some work. And today's passage, I think, helps us to do that work. And today we're going to see how, how important Peter thinks it is to remember. Remember particularly what we've covered over the last couple of weeks in verses 3 to 11 of chapter 1 of Second Peter. So today as we look at verses 12 and 15, try to remember what we've covered before. So we'll start in verse 12. I'm just like completely unattached up here. I don't know what's going on. Let's see if this works. There we go. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Okay? So one of our favorite 
exegetical words to lead off this passage. Therefore, what do you reckon? What you reckon? This therefore is therefore. And no, I don't guess I'll ever not say that when we see a therefore. It's just going to happen. Well, we've just spent two weeks covering what has been one of the most impactful passages I've ever covered in my life in 2 Peter 1, 3-11. I, I, I can't say whether it's been that impactful for you or whether I've communicated it well, but I can tell you that not much has impacted me more than these last two weeks of these messages that we've, that we've covered, this passage of 2 Peter 1, 3-11. And in that passage, Peter is, is, is laying out all these great, wonderful, high truths that should impact our everyday lives. And so then here today, what he's doing is making sure that he's making sure that his readers, including us, remember those things. Okay? Uh, so he's moving forward with his thoughts after that amazing paragraph. And I don't think we'd be in the wrong to just read those nine incredible verses again. So 2 Peter 1, 3-11. My clicker's not working, by the way, if y'all can... Bell me out there. So here we go. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To which again I just say, goodness gracious. That is some glory ground there. Now old me might have covered the microphone and yelled real loud, but I won't do that. I've been rehabbed of that, probably. But suffice it to say that all of those, what is that, nine inspired verses, all nine of them, all that together is worth sitting and soaking in for a lifetime or so. And it should affect how we think, speak, act, live, in our new life in Christ that was given to us at the very beginning of our salvation. It is good news, capital G, capital N, to be sure. And so after saying we have all we need for life and godliness, after showing that it's God's design for us to partake in the divine nature, and after calling on His readers to be diligent to use all these tools and gifts for God's glory and the good of others, therefore... Since all of that is there, and it's true, therefore. Since this, therefore this. And what follows Peter's therefore here? Therefore, since all that is true, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, look at that for a second. Peter is not content with just telling them these things. Nor is he content with them just knowing these things. He's not content with them being established in these things. Instead, he says that since all that he has told them is true, and since they know it, and since they are established in it, then, therefore, he intends. He makes it his desire and goal to do what? pat them on the back and congratulate them on their having a handle on all this? Nope, that's not what he's doing at all. Instead, he says that he has made up his mind that his job is going to be to always, what? 
remind them of these qualities. He sees the value and quantity of all of these wondrous truths, these promises, and he just wants to echo them until he sees Jesus face to face again. The word remind is literally to put in the mind of someone. Whether that's through letters or speech or messengers or pointing back to what others have said or written, Peter just wants to continually get these truths into the minds of those he's writing to. I intend to always remind you. I intend to always put in your mind these qualities. Now what qualities is he referring to? Well, the most logical conclusion is that he's referring to the qualities he urged them to make every effort to supplement themselves and their faith with in verses 5 to 7. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. But I also think he has to have a desire to remind them of all they have through God's precious and very great promises as well. And so he intends to just remind them and remind them and remind them and remind them at a certain place, at a certain time, on a certain day, over and over and over again. And I couldn't help but think of another apostle's words here, John's words in 1 John 2, 7. Caleb's talking about 1 John 1 this morning, 1, 2, 7. John says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And isn't there something here for us? I know I've said it many times standing here, sitting in these seats and other rooms of this building. We don't need to learn anything new. We really just need to be reminded of what has already been said. We don't need a new commandment. The old commandment is sufficient. We don't need Peter to drop some mystic knowledge on us. We just need him to remind us of what has already been said. Amen. That's why we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Because they're just teaching us what Jesus taught them. And we need reminded of it. I don't need new stuff. And there are books and books and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and a whole internet full of stuff and information. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not necessary. We've got everything we need. Everything that needed to be said, God recorded for us in His Word. And we need to be reminded of that. Most of us in this building this morning have heard more sermons and read the Bible enough to know what has been revealed and inspired by God Himself. And while all those other volumes outside of the Bible are out there, and they can be very helpful to give some insight to what God has said in His Word, we really need less insight and more reminder. We definitely don't need a new word or some fresh revelation. Let me tell you what, let me, let me give you, this is bonus material. If you're listening to, reading something, watching something, and somebody says, I've got fresh revelation for you, cut it off. Amen. Shut it down. You don't need it. It's not God. It may be very insightful. It may be very smart and intelligent and positive. Shut it off. You don't need fresh revelation. You need more and more and more reminder. And we'll look at the wonder and majesty of the revealed Word of God in next week's message, Lord willing. But for now, let's just hear what both Peter and John are saying. There are not any new words or private revelations. We need only remind ourselves and each other of what God has already said in His perfect Word. We would do well to keep that in mind. And Peter re-emphasizes the need for this reminder when he says, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. You see? Again, Peter isn't calling on them to master new curricula. They know and they are established in the truth that they have. That's good news. The word know here is neither gnosis nor epinosis, by the way, but rather it's oida, which means cognitive knowing, informational knowing. They know the right information. The data is good. It's not corrupted. The input is the right stuff. 
and they are established in the truth that they have. That means that they are set fast. They are fixed on the truth that they have. And this is all very good and it means good things for those reading Peter's letter. And so it gives even more weight, more meaning to Peter's desire and resolution to remind them of all these things. They know it. They're established in it. Yes and amen. So Peter says, let's move on. No. Peter sees the need not for deeper truth or subtle shades of meaning or something new, but rather simple, forthright reminder. Married couples, how often do you say I love you to each other? Well, I told her when we got married, she don't need to know anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. After almost 27 years of marriage, we still say we love each other multiple times a day. Why? Do we not know it? Are we not established in it? Sure we are. Do we do well to remind ourselves and each other? Absolutely we do. So this reminding that Peter is doing is not in an effort to inform or establish them, nor establish them, but it is simply in his estimation the right thing to do. What are the three best ways to master large bodies of information or knowledge? Repetition, repetition, repetition. And Peter is seeking to remind and repeat and remind and repeat because he knows that what they know is the best possible material to work with. He also knows we're prone to forget. So he reiterates what he just said in verse 13 then. I think it right as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And note that this verse ends with not a period but a comma, meaning it's not a whole thought. We'll start the thought and then get into it in verse 14 to finish it up. But here in verse 13, Peter sticks to his reminder guns and appeals to the rightness of his reminding. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I love that. I think it's right. He says, that word think is a word that means to make a decision based on careful consideration. It's a weighing of options. And Peter's been thinking, what do they need? What do they need? What do they need? I know what's right here. I'll remind them of what they already know and are established in. And in this weighing, there is the right thing to do and there is everything else, which is not the right thing to do. And here, Peter is appealing to them to make sure they know that what he is doing is right. It's good. It's proper. It's appropriate. In this situation, he says the decision he is making, the path that he is pursuing is the right one. And what is right? We'll skip the middle clause and come back to it in a minute. It'll apply directly to the next verse. But we'll finish this thought that he's got here by skipping this clause and going to the last clause. That being said, then we jump to the end. What is right in Peter's judgment? What is right is to stir you up by way of reminder. The Greek word for stir up is one that I think Don mentioned last week in his statements. The egero, to awake, to arise, to stir up, to wake up, to awaken, to arouse from sleep. Speaking of the sea, it means to be agitated. The sea was aroused. To arouse the mind, to stir up, to render active. It carries with it the connotation of stirring one from sleep and to stimulate out of sleep into feelings or action. To wake up, think, feel, and do what is right regarding all of this. And Peter says he thinks it's right to wake them up and stir them up to right thoughts, feelings, and actions in what he's reminding them about. And we need that reminder all the time, don't we? Well, I was reminded of it on Sunday. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going to need reminded of it again. Because we forget. And our situation, our senses start to tell us something different. Maybe God wasn't right. Did God really say that you had everything you need pertaining to life and godliness? Really? 
Because look at your life. And we're going, yeah, no, shoot. I need reminded. Wake up! And do something with what you're being reminded about. Think about what you know. Feel rightly about what you know. And do something with it. Sounds like repentance, doesn't it? Stop thinking the way you're thinking. Remember what's true through a reminder and then do what you've been reminded of. Wake up. Think, feel, and do rightly through this reminder. And Peter thinks this is the right thing to do. And and, and he's saying that he sees this as his primary objective with these folks that he's writing to, which includes us, by the way. He thinks it's right to do this very thing. That's his goal. And this stirring up is by way of reminder, Peter reiterates. He had already said in verse 12 that he intended to always remind them of the qualities he mentioned. And here, again, he says the goal is to stir them up by way of reminder. I always intend to remind you. And I think it's right to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter's showing that reminding is his modus operandi. It's what he's going to spend the rest of his life doing. And speaking of the rest of his life, that middle clause, let's go back to that. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I am in this body. Is Peter going to get a different body while he's on earth? Nope. He's going to be in that body until he's not. Which covers his life that he's got left on the earth, right? His earthly life, that is. Back in 1 Peter 4, 1-2, we read this when we were going through 1 Peter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter was calling then for his readers to decide to live for the rest of the time in their flesh for the will of God as opposed to their human passions. And that thought is, as long as I live in this body, I'm going to serve God. Well, here in 2 Peter, Peter's telling us what the remainder of his time in his body is going to be given to, what serving God looks like for him for the rest of the time in his flesh. And instead of pursuing human passions, he's going to remind people of what God has said. And that's a big statement. The rest of the time that I have in the flesh, the rest of the time that I have in this body, I'm going to do this. Again, I think about a marriage commitment. Till death do us part, right? As long as I'm in this body and you're in that body, we pledge to live the rest of our lives with and for another person. Till death do us part. Well, here Peter's making it clear that he has one goal in his relationship with these recipients of his letter. He's going to remind them and stir them up by way of reminder. And I I don't know if we can overstate the importance of this. Just like I said, I don't think we can overstate how incredible verses 3 to 11 were. They're no good if we don't remind each other of them. They're no good if we don't remember them. So Peter says, the right thing to do is for me to remind you, as long as I'm in this body, to remind you. Peter, the apostle and servant of Jesus, is saying that after careful thought, he wants to make it clear that he has one primary purpose with the interactions he has with other believers. He's not going to tell cool stories of things he did with Jesus or his own exploits as the rock that helped establish the early church. It wasn't about him then, it's not about him now, and it won't be about him in the future. It's about Him reminding them of what God had done for them and what God will do through them for the rest of His life. That's it. He's determined this is all He's going to do. As long as I am in this body, I'm just going to remind you and remind you and remind you. And man, that can seem so cliche or even insignificant. Yeah, I know, I know. Quit telling me. Again, spouses, if your wife ever says, stop telling me you love me, something's wrong. If we ever get tired of being reminded of these things, something is wrong. As long as he's in this body. And when you consider what he's about to say, this becomes even more significant. Verse 14. Since I know... 
that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Hmm. Catch the gravity of this verse. So we have been in the high Sierra mountains of verses 3 to 11, and now we come down into the valley of real life. Right? I love the reality of the Bible. We don't live in heaven right now. We live on earth where there's death and hardship and struggle. And these bodies that we're in wear out, don't they? Peter has doubled down on his decision to be a reminder for as long as he's in his body. And now here, he says that won't be very long. And he actually says that his decision to constantly remind Jesus' followers of the qualities they have in Christ is since he knows that the putting off of his body will be soon. All the more important as we see the day approaching, the writer of Hebrews says. Peter knows that his time to die is soon. Maybe he's feeling his age. Maybe they have literally let him know that they've set an execution date. We don't know for sure, but he knows that it's coming soon. He's going to die soon. How would you act if you knew you were going to die soon? You had a few days or maybe a couple weeks. Would you live differently? Peter says, I've made up my mind what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind these people of what I've already told them. He knows that the putting off of his body will be soon. It's not far off. Now the putting off of his body, he's referring to death, and that means his spirit man is going to leave his body. James 2.26 says that the body without the spirit is dead. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says, in Ecclesiastes 12.7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. This points to the creation of man. Way back in Genesis, when God formed a body out of the dust of the earth, then breathed into the nostrils of that body the breath of life, the spirit, and that creature, that human, became a living soul. Peter is saying that his spirit will soon depart his body. He's going to die. And it's going to happen soon, shortly, swiftly, quickly, in the near future. And unlike most of us, Peter pretty much knew how he was going to die. At the end of John's Gospel, we see this interaction with Jesus and Peter, John 21, 18 and 19. Truly, truly, Jesus says to Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Whew. It's a pretty strong interchange, isn't it? Precursor to what Jesus just said to Peter, Peter had just been asked three times by Jesus if he loved him. And he felt the pressure of that shame and regret because he had denied him three times. And then Jesus drops the bomb on Peter about how his time on earth would come to an end. He says, youthful Peter had choices and would and, would and could dress himself and walk wherever he wanted. But, Jesus says, when Peter gets older, he would stretch out his hands and another will dress him and carry him where he does not want to go. What's he referring to? Peter's going to be crucified. And while we don't have any scriptural evidence of that happening, tradition and church history tell us that it did happen and that Peter even said he wasn't worthy to die like his Lord, so they crucified him upside down. Woof. And so Jesus had said Peter would be crucified, dressed and carried where he did not want to go. And how did Jesus add to that statement? He simply called Peter to follow him. Now get this, put that together. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you do what I call you to do, you're going to be crucified, Peter. So, follow me. I beg your pardon? So if y'all follow me home today, you're going to get shot and killed. So follow me. 
Peter, when you get older, the path that I'm about to put you on is going to get you crucified, so follow me. And so now back in his letter, he's not surprised. He's not bemoaning his situation. He just knows that it's coming. As Jesus had made it clear that it would, and Peter is dead set on what? Escape? Negotiation? Dealing with how he feels about all this? Nah. He's just dead set on reminding them that they have all they need to add Christ-like qualities to their lives and to partake in the divine nature. Knowing his death was imminent, they were foremost on his mind and reminding them of the truths that they need to know was the first thing and the only thing that he wanted to do. That's all he wanted to do. That's his priority. Now get that. I'm about to die. It's going to be just like Jesus said it would. It's not going to be good. It's going to be really bad to say the least. So please... Please, please, keep me in your prayers. Send me positive vibes. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm about to die. They're going to crucify me. It's going to be soon. So please, let me remind you of these grand truths so that you know and are established in them. You're already knowing them and established in them, but let me remind you. Man, what a thought. He's not going to mention his soon-to-be passing again for the rest of the letter. This is it. It's the only mention of it. And he's making it clear that he's not overly concerned with how he's going to go, nor is he overly focused on the pain level of all of that. He just wants to remind them and stir them up by way of reminder. Wow. He just wants to make sure that after he's gone... Well, that's verse 15. Go to verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. <laughs> this is beautiful on 87 different levels. So much good even just in that verse. Peter had called them to make every effort in light of verses 3 and 4 to add to their lives the qualities he listed in verses 5 to 7. He told them make every effort. Now, just to show that he isn't only calling on them to make every effort, he says that he will make every effort. Maybe that was the word that Don mentioned last week. Spudazzo. I will make every effort. Spudazzo. It means that he will be eager, he will endeavor, he will exert himself and give diligence to something. Come on, Pete, you're about to die, bro. Take some time, rest, reflect, look back, look ahead. Enjoy this time you got left. You deserve it. No. Peter says he's going to be very diligent. He's going to make every effort to do something. What was that something? So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And again, this is absolutely fantastic. Because this, what Peter's saying here, this is gospel-centered, God-honoring, people-serving, biblical Christianity. Peter wants to live in such a way, even in, in his last days before he's going to be literally crucified, he wants to live in such a way so that other people will be able at any time to recall these things that he's making every effort to remind them of. Read the verse again. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's just laser focused here. He is intent on making sure that these folks don't just know these things, that they're not just established in them. He wants them to be able at any time to recall these things. Not just remember, but to be able to recall them when they need them. And that's what he's going to spend all of his time that he's got left in his flesh doing. He's others-focused. And he's going to do everything he can to make sure that they're equipped to be able to recall all the things that he said after he's gone. His utmost desire is for their 
well-being. Not just here and now, but into the future and for all their time that remains. Again, it would be logical or excusable if he was just paying attention to his remaining time. But he's looking past all of that and hoping to benefit them well after he's in heaven. Think about Herb Hodges. I've thought about him so much this week. He always said, if it's worth saying, it's worth saving. So he wrote everything down. He'd have somebody type it up and he'd store it. And he looked me in the eyes one day and he said, I can promise you this, well after I'm gone, I'm still multiplying. Why? Because he had taken pains to preserve the teachings and the sayings and everything that he had been taught and passed them on to other people and had them in a form that those people could pass it on to other people. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. That's Peter's mindset here. Well, after I'm gone, I want you able to recall these things. It's biblical Christianity. It's discipleship. Their well-being, not my remaining time. He's more focused on them then than on Him now. Write that down. He is more focused on them then, after He's gone, than on Him now. And what a glorious goal for all of us. And I think it's right to reiterate that He's not just trying to transfer information so that they can pass a pop quiz. He's laboring to make sure that His readers will have the knowledge and the wisdom they need and be able to recall it for their life and godliness, able to partake of the divine nature at all the stops along the way when they'll need them later. At any time, He says. That's a readiness mindset that is able to stand in times of trial and tribulation, kind of like what Peter appears to be in at the time of his writing this letter. He's probably a prisoner of Rome. He's watching as the faith that he clings to is being persecuted more and more, and he's staring crucifixion right in the face. And he's not only able to recall these things, he's making it a point to stir others up with him as well. It's quite a load and it's quite impressive what he's focused on in the midst of it. We tend to kind of drop out of the rotation when things get hard. Well, I got my own things I got to deal with right now. And sometimes you do have to do that. But we become so focused on ourselves, we lose the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is love God and love others. And we bemoan our situation. Yeah, but my situation's so hard. Peter's about to be crucified. It ain't that hard. Your situation is not that hard. And what's he focused on? I want to remind you and remind you and remind you and remind you so that after I'm gone you'll be able to recall these things and use them in your life. It's almost like when Jesus said, if we'll deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him, that's the path of Christianity. Hmm. Peter's not coasting. He's not asking for sympathy. He is engaged and laboring just like his Lord was. And he's calling on his readers to be able to do the same when their time comes. And of course that means us too. Peter's labors come down to us after almost 2,000 years, long after his departure. And his labors continue to draw us into the same mindset and the same power that empowered him and His Lord in their labors. May we be as faithful as He was. And Peter wasn't perfect. We know that, right? But may we be as faithful as Him, working in the same power that He knew and displayed. So that ends our passage, and we'll turn to application. Four R's. Remember? 
What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Remember? Remind. Recall. And resolve. Remember, remind, recall, and resolve. First application point is remember. I said earlier, and I'll say again, and I'll probably say many times before I don't speak in this pulpit anymore, it's not about gaining new truth. God forbid I ever stand up here and seek to tell you something new. I want you to remember, I want to remember the plain things, the main things, the biblical things, the truth of the gospel. What is imperative that we remember? Peter has just laid out these things in verses 3 to 11. He talked about they were all, they were all found in the knowledge of Jesus. You need to remember those things. He talked about those qualities, those precious and very great promises. You need to be able to remember those things. I need to be reminding you of that. I'm jumping ahead. The plain things. the main. It's not a whole lot of stuff. What is imperative that we remember? We've got to be really good at remembering the main things. Remember last week, Peter said some, some people had forgotten that their sins have been forgiven. You need to remember that your sins have been forgiven. That's why we do this every week. We remember and proclaim the death of Jesus until He comes. That's why we do it every week. Y'all have probably heard this before, but somebody asked Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us every week? He says, it's because you forget. And we do. My goodness gracious, the, the, the creed. There are some weeks we get near the end there and we're talking about forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. And I just want to shout. Because I remember all of a sudden this is true. And it's wonderful. And it's great. And they're very precious and great promises. Lord, thank you. And then sometimes when my flesh is yelling at me, I forget. Sometimes when I pursue my own pleasures instead of the things of God, I forget. I forget that my sins have been forgiven. I forget that Jesus loved me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I forget that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And so, let's remember and remember and remember. Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 18 Take care, Moses says to the Israelites about to go into the promised land. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the flinty rock, brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. It's almost like that's important because he said it three or four times already. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. They're about to cross over in the promised land and, and, and Moses's, one of Moses' big points was be careful that you remember. And you know what's really bad to make us forget? Prosperity. That's what he's saying here. You're going into a land that is nice. It's got everything. It's got everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. 
be careful once you get in there because if, if you're not careful, you're going to think, this is good. And forget the one who is good who gave it to you. Oh man, when things get hard, we hit our knees quick. And that's right. We need to hit our knees quick when things are good too. Because prosperity makes us forget more than anything, I think. Be careful. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. Don't let your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. Remember. Remember. Don't go home and say, now what did He tell us to remember? It's not about new truth. It's about remembering the plain things, the main things. Remember the gospel that saved you. Know what is imperative that we need to remember. Knowledge of Him, His precious and very great promises, those virtues and those qualities that He listed in verses 5 to 7, those are important. Remember them. Don't forget that your sins have been forgiven. So that's remember. Now remind. Now here's the deal. Remembering is one thing that we need to do ourselves. What we need to do for one another is to remind each other. We need to make it our goal as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus, to remind each other and to stir one another up in the remembrance of those things that we need to remember. I want us all to become great reminders. I want you to remind me. I want to remind you. I want you to remind each other. So when things do get hard and you're reaching out for help, what are we doing? Not looking for a new solution. We're reminding each other of what we already have, of what's already been done. Listen, you have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Well, not in this situation. Yes, in that situation. And you need me to remind you and I need you to remind me. We cannot be individual island Christians. We need to remind each other. We need each other to remind one another of things. We need to make it a very high-ranking goal in our individual lives to be reminding other people of the gospel, of the things that Peter has said over these last two passages in verses 3 to 11. Again, not new truth or better ways of motivating one another. Just remind me. Remind me. Sometimes you just need to sit and weep with me. Sometimes I just need to rejoice with you. But even that's a reminder because that's what God told us to do. Are you struggling? Are you suffering? Call somebody, text somebody and say, Remind me. Remind me. I think that's a good code word for us all. Remind me. I'm struggling today, brother. Remind me. I need reminded today. Remind me. So you reach out to another person to remind you. And there is strength and there is glory in us reminding each other. Set a reminder. Be a reminder. Set a reminder to be a reminder. In every place, at every time, on every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. 24-7, remind yourself to remind other people. That's really good application from this passage. I'm not congratulating myself. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, that's, that's good stuff there. How often do you remind your spouse? How often do you remind your kids? How often do you remind each other in this building? Determine that you will be a great reminder. Remember, remind, and now recall. Now this one's a little bit tricky because you're like, it's really just remembering, right? No. We need to be able to bring to mind the things we need on our own as well when we need them. When you're faced with temptation, you need to recall the truth in order to use the truth in the moment. 
This is not just a vague, the information's here, and I'm established in it. The recalling is, I'm going to recall it in order to use it right now. And it's actually a call to the Holy Spirit to help us in that moment. This is one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. You say, well, that should be under remembrance. Well, we remember in order to recall it, in order to implement it. I can know the truth, but when I recall it for the purpose of putting it in my hands and using it, that's a whole different deal. So I'm in the moment, I'm tempted, I'm down, I'm upset, I'm losing it. God, help me to recall what you're bringing to my remembrance right now and help me to implement it. That's what recalling is about. It's the ability to access what you remember when you need it on the spot. And so develop a good habit and pattern to call on the Holy Spirit to help you recall the truths that you need when you need them. Particular passage, instructions, precepts, and commands in order to keep you from sinning, in order to help others in their times of need, and in order to stand strong in the face of adversity. Sometimes the things you think you won't have a problem remembering just won't come to mind. Run to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to help you recall these things when you need them. May we be good recallers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, remind, recall, and finally resolve. I said it earlier, but look at what follows verses 3 to 11. Grand, glorious, have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, Know it, you're established in it, and I'm about to die. What follows the grand glorious truths about our lives, everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, is a reminder that we're all going to die. The Bible doesn't just live in the spiritual ethereal. The Bible lives right here. As you're aging, as things get harder, as you struggle, as you're questioning things, I think about you young folks. Goodness gracious. The things that you're facing, the things that you're hearing, the things that they are trying to indoctrinate you in. You need to develop. I need to develop. We need to develop a resolve that says, I will live in the muck and mire of life even as I know the truth, these high spiritual truths that will help me to get through this stuff. Through death. Through suffering. Peter's about to be crucified. And look at the resolve that he has. Look at the life that he has in the light of death and difficulty staring him right in the face. And here's the deal, y'all. Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. People you love and know and trust are going to die. You're going to have hardships. You're going to struggle. You're going to suffer. You need a resolve like Peter had that we saw today. Jesus had told Peter that he would be carried to where he did not want to go. Now imagine the word of the Lord to you is, hey, you're going to be crucified. How are you going to respond to that word? Peter responded awfully well to it. So many times God's Word tells us of coming suffering. How are you going to respond to it? Hopefully it's with resolve in His goodness and His ability to carry me through it. If you look at Peter's response to it, he followed Jesus. And then he called on others to remember what Jesus had taught him and that He had taught them. How will you face death and difficulty? Peter's resolve was to be more concerned for others than himself. We need that kind of resolve. How will you handle being carried to where you don't want to go? Peter's concern was for others and not his preferences. Jesus said in Luke 9.51, well, Jesus didn't say it, it's 
speaking of Jesus, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. That means He locked the jaw and nothing was going to prevent Him from marching to His death on the cross. That's resolve. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Jesus, Paul, Peter, Resolve in the face of suffering and death. Peter is adamant that his readers aren't focused on his death, but instead are focused on the life-giving truths that he has shared with them. He was more interested in their remembering those truths than he was in them remembering him. What will people remember about you after you've gone? Will it be that you pointed them to a pursuit of God and these qualities? That's resolve in the face of suffering and death. Will it be an emphasis in your life on the gospel, the Savior, and the powerful truths that we all need to remember, remind each other of, recall, and resolve to never waver on? It was for Peter. May it be so for us too. I want to close with two good reminders that will help you set your resolve. May you remember them. May we remind each other of them. May we be able to recall them. And may they set our resolve on these truths. 2 Peter 1, 3-11 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And last reminder, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance... What I also received, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me from the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But... Here's a good reminder. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, You have given to us great and very precious promises. You have given us Your Holy Spirit. You have given us the Gospel. You have given us the Church. You have given us Your Word. You have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. May we remember that, God. May we remind one another of it. May we recall it when we're in those times of temptation and struggle all alone. And God, may we set our resolve to never forget and to always remind one another of the truths of who you are and what you've done for us and what you will do for us and what is coming in the life that is to appear to us at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Help us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.